Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. Welcome, everyone, to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, David Morrow, with co-host Mark Mosher. Mark. Hey, David. Hey, good to see you, although we can't see you. Yes. Um, how is everything going today, Mark? Good? Very well. Very well, thank you. Excellent. Awesome. Um, today's special guest is uh, Dina Hayworth. Dina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us. Dina has her uh, assistant, Sonny King, with her as well, who may join us in a little bit. And she gives us the thumbs up. <laughs> so, um, so let's just start from the top. Um, Dina, can you just tell us kind of who you are, what your background is, and then we can get into what your organization does. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Dina Hayworth. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Hirons. Um, Hirons is an advertising and PR firm that is headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we also have offices in Chicago as well. Okay, great. And what, you know, what, what's your background in? How did you get into that? Yeah, so I have a kind of an interesting story. I've been at the firm for 20 years, which makes me a little bit of a unicorn. Um, I started my career as a professional at Hirons as a PR specialist. Um, okay. So we have, uh, we're primarily a professional services organization and consult on advertising PR and digital activities. So. Um, I basically graduated from um, my undergrad in 99, went immediately to grad school in public relations at Ball State because the economy was not so great then. And, um, and I, was, I was interested in um, extending my education and getting my master's. So I went ahead and jumped in and then um, found out about Hirons because at that time we were headquartered in Bloomington, Indiana, which was my hometown. So through a um, kind of an ironic uh, set of connections, one of my high school classmates was an intern at Hirons and said, hey, you need to take a look at this. And so um, I started in our then Bloomington office, um, did a lot of business development work um, and public relations work and kind of climbed the the food chain from there well so and did you always want to do that i mean how did you 
Um, what drew you to uh, to uh, public relations? PR, yeah. So I, I didn't even really know that public relations was a line of work. Um, at Hirons, we have a program called Rural Reach, which is um, committed to kind of engaging and connecting with uh, rural communities across the U.S., specifically the rural poor. And so I grew up in a very rural community, um, it could certainly have been considered rural poor at certain parts of my life. So like many that we see in rural communities, I only really knew about teachers and bankers and um, just because of our proximity to Indiana University kind of college professors, right? And so um, did not have a ton of exposure to the professions that are, that are out there, um, but got really involved in journalism. So the high school newspaper um, and had a lot of um, great support from uh, teachers and advisors um, kind of connected that into my college decision because I um, chose Franklin College, which is a small liberal arts college just south of Indianapolis. And um, they have a really good high school journalism camp that they do every year. And so uh, they kind of hooked me in. And um, so I came in as a journalism student in to be a journalism professor and newspaper advisor because you know that's what I had had exposure to and, and I really enjoyed it and um, through that program was connected to an internship that um, helped me kind of open my eyes to the field of public relations and um, and what all that could mean. Have you stayed in touch with uh, Franklin? Um, actually, I was just appointed to the board of trustees in the fall, so um, they were. They are, yeah. yeah, they are. They are a client of ours. We actually. Oh, yeah. We do cybersecurity work for them, and we work we with like their IT team. We like oh, them. Good. Yeah. yeah. So. Where can I go on were, site? Yeah, we we help them with their strategic planning in terms of IT and things like that. Yeah. So they were. Um, really a, a great place to go to college it's as you all know then kind of a small campus um really in good close proximity to indianapolis but not in the urban core um, they have about 1100 students and so it's um super small um but yeah i've uh, i've stayed involved and kind of in touch with the college and then was recruited to the board um, and I'm, I've actually also just agreed to teach their 400 level PR class this fall. So oh, we're going to be uh, wow, enjoying some virtual learning, I think, with, yep. with, their, uh, with their students. That's fantastic. I find it interesting. We, um, we talk with so many leaders from so many different uh, types of background, but the one common thread that I think, David, you'll agree we continue to see is um, leaders, really outstanding leaders that come from small rural. Uh, we've had a couple, couple really strong leaders that came from um, from actual farming, from a working farm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and some of them have really been just lived by very simple, simple means. Uh, so it's really neat to see that kind of connection. And I'm, I'm anxious to hear with your your experience and your uh, diverse background. 
Hey everyone, Mark and I are really excited about an upcoming episode with author Dr. Rosie Ward. She's a nationally recognized author. She's an entrepreneur, founder of Salveo Partners, and she's going to discuss with us culture change and leading from any position, regardless of title. She has a new book out called Rehumanizing the Workplace. We're going to explore that. We're going to talk about things about being able to lead even in a remote workforce, um, dealing with micromanagers, as well as uh, how introverts can lead. It's a remarkable episode, and we guarantee that you will absolutely find great value in it. So please don't miss it. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening. Now back to our episode. Was there any any one person or any one event really that maybe kind of inspired you or, or got you going or, or motivated you to do something? That's a good question. Um, I think really early on, um, I had a, an interesting set of experiences. Um, my dad is a, a serial entrepreneur, is a kind of a, a polished way to say it, but he was just a, a really aggressive small business guy my whole life. So it was everything from kind of running a, a painting company to hog farming to um, running a baseball card shop back in the 90s when baseball card shops were all the rage. Um, we sold Beanie Babies, we did flea markets. I mean, we did kind of the whole um, entrepreneurial journey, if you will. And, um, and if you're familiar with some of those settings, whether it's, you know, retail in a small town or, um, you know, flea markets and antique malls and so forth, you really see an amazing cross-section of people um, in those environments. And um, he and my mom were always really focused that we treated everybody the same, right? And he had a very eclectic group of friends and, <laughs> and, um, and folks that, you know, we served through the various businesses. And so um, I think that like genuine entrepreneurship and kind of partnership that he um, instilled in me is is important still to how we work today. I mean, as you all know, in consulting, the kind of stickiness and being able to work with any range of clients is yep. so um, so important. And and I think that's made a really big difference, both in kind of connecting internally with our employee owners and um, externally with our partners and clients as well. That's excellent. Can I ask you, what's your, you know, I'm sure you've, you're familiar with, you know, um, Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and all of that, that thought leadership. What, what's your why or your purpose to, to your approach to public relations? It's a great question. Um, we really focus on some basics uh, as it, pertains to public relations and specifically crisis. So um, we believe strongly that transparency matters um, and that speed to um, addressing an issue is also important. So um, our industry as a whole sort of gets labeled as, you know, spin doctoring or covering up or um, whatever kind of negative uh, interactions you could have about public relations and it really is um, trying to help our clients tell their story in the most um, kind of clear and direct and compelling way. 
So that's excellent. So let me ask you this. When you talk about crisis and I mean, we, we deal with PR firms because mm -hmm. we do cybersecurity. When there's a data right. breach, right? When it's a data breach, it is not about the Excel spreadsheet and the passwords and the emails and the data or even the intellectual property sometimes that they stole or published for sale on the dark web. It's about the fact that you have to call and contact all of your customers and tell them that you lost their stuff and yeah. the private stuff, right? And there's case study after case study about you know law firms that have been around for 40 years that close within six months after a data breach. Mm -hmm. and, and, and people spend so much money on developing their brand and yet they don't take protecting their brand serious enough. What mm -hmm. are you guys seeing in terms of PR? Do you guys get involved with things like that or, or tell us some of the crises that you protect? Yeah, yeah. So um, we do a lot of work in the cybersecurity and data breach space. Um, many cyber insurance policies, as you know, actually cover the PR component of the work that needs to be done around a data breach. Um, just kind of with the with the acknowledgement that the, the lift that is needed on the crisis and public relations front in a data breach is huge. Um, so those data breaches for us have, have included um, a number of different kind of ways that we've been involved. So in some situations, we are kind of that next level. So we're, a, we're representing a financial institution or someone else who has been impacted by a data breach elsewhere, right? So there's all this trickle down effect that can sometimes happen. So in that situation, you're talking about um, data security to someone that, and it wasn't your fault that the breach happened in the first place, right? So kind of making sure that you are positioning yourself as the player in the right role in the crisis is very important. Um, we also know as, as um, many different types of companies are hit by these data breaches now. So it could be a professional services firm like a law firm that you're talking about it could be a retail organization um, and so we try to acknowledge the relationship that the organization has with its customers was this a personal relationship was it a business to business relationship is government involved as a customer right because your your credibility is going to get hit there um, we advise our clients um, from an issues management perspective a lot of times. And so issues management is, is getting upstream from crisis and identifying possible um, challenges that your organization may face. And today, always a breach, a data breach, a cyber breach is, is going to be one of those things that we talk about. So we try to make sure our clients are as buttoned up and protected as they can be, knowing that you know something can always go wrong, but we um, work with clients that are both in the kind of the auditing space and the, um, the insurance space as well. And so we've got some really good knowledge that helps us as we um, deal with some of those crises. But again, kind of speed to market, speed to message and consistent, clear messaging is so important in these times. And frankly, kind of continued 
communication over the course of the resolution, right? Because the, as you said, David, the, the person who is impacted by this is going to have to maybe take some personal steps to further protect themselves, change passwords, um, open new accounts, whatever it may be. Hey everyone, Mark and I would like to invite you to listen in on our two bonus episodes, a two-part series on the rise and fall of one of the world's most iconic brands. One man's vision where he recognizes the baby boom even before it was a term that was used. He grew an international business that was worth billions of dollars. In just a few years, it is liquidated in bankruptcy. It's not what you think. It's not due to e-commerce or anything like Amazon or other large retailers. Come listen and find out. We promise you won't be disappointed when we discuss the rise and fall of Toys R Us. Yeah, that's some really good insight. That's some really good information. I'm curious, what are um, what are maybe some key initiatives that you're involved with or that you're excited about that you've got going on? So as an agency, um, we are just kind of at the early stages of being an ESOP. Uh, so we're fully 100% employee owned. Um, our founder and board chair, Tom Hirons, founded the company 42 years ago. Um, kind of, it's it, it's funny as as you look at organizations as they grow over time. Sometimes they, you know, people think that we're really big and established and kind of a player in the market. And I'm like, well, we've only been doing this for 42 years. And um, Tom always jokes that in our in the first employee handbook that he wrote, he said that on an employee's 10th anniversary, they would be awarded a toaster oven. And he did that because he didn't think that they were gonna be in business for 10 years, much less have employees for 10 years. So as a kind of nod to our entrepreneurial culture, we still do uh, toaster ovens at your That's 10th fantastic. anniversary at Hiren. So um, as Tom was kind of looking at what he did next in his career, um, and you know, trying to decide about retirement or other transitions, it was, um, an, an important time for our agency because not only did we have to kind of tackle the succession planning that came along with that, but also the ownership structure of the agency and the ESOP has been really great for us. It was um, the best match for our employee culture and um, our retention and recruitment approach as well. Uh, we do a lot of work in mergers and acquisitions in our company. So we're, you know, helping clients navigate being bought or purchasing a company or partnering with a company. And so we know no matter what you do, things change. Um, and so the, this um, ESOP approach was really important to us. We had a 10 year plan to become 100% employee owned and we did it in about six. So we were able to really accelerate and it's um, it's been really wonderful for our employee owners. That's excellent. So let me ask you a little bit about um, leadership because um, leadership is definitely a trait that when people look to get public relations, they're looking to get 
the media handles for them, right? They're looking to get mm -hmm. advice. They're looking to get counsel, right? Um, would you agree that, you know, that leadership and leading can happen from any position? It doesn't matter about title. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think as you look at our current workforce, right, you have a three or four generation workforce now, depending on how you count it. And as we've gone through this massive transition with, um, you know, work from home and COVID and everything else, I, I think um, many organizations have seen some different folks step up and take a lead and say, hey, this, you know, this new environment really works for me. Um, as we uh, counsel clients on thought leadership, right, and, and their executive positioning, if you will, we often um, suggest to them that it's important to have several different people within an organization um, kind of groomed and positioned as these thought leaders because a single voice can certainly be effective, but um, the strength and numbers that you can achieve by having various experts or um, thought leaders kind of across your organization can be really beneficial to a brand. Um, I talked a little bit about our rural reach program early on, and I mean, that was something that we, um, developed a you know just a, a few years ago and and have really um enjoyed some good attention on the topic and um and able to to really provide some leadership as it pertains to um that that rural community and and how important engaging the rural poor is for many brands so when you in your organization structure how do you go about promoting you know young resources to step up and lead like they might not have a title of manager or vice president or whatever or partner mm -hmm. or whatever but they're mm -hmm. clearly our leaders among the group right and yeah. how do we get them to express themselves and to yeah. to step forward yeah so our mantra is to be bold and we really encourage that from kind of any seat within our organization so we talk a lot about outthinking, outworking and outperforming so our intention is to attract a really diverse group of um, top performers and bring them together and, and see what happens. And so you do see some um, good leaders emerging, some experts um, who emerge on different topics as well, which which can be um, really, really exciting to see. We, we are in a young industry, if you will. So the kind of the energy and the excitement that um, those that are early in their career can bring to the table and their proximity to the clients and the work and the challenges ahead of us um, really push people and, and these, these high performers really rise to the occasion. That's good. That's, it's interesting when we ask a lot of the leadership uh, about the, the next generation of leaders that's coming up and what they're looking for and it's more often than not it's it's to be bold it's to to mm -hmm. speak up have your voice heard um so that's that's interesting I, I like your your answer on that let me ask you is looking back on your experience and what you've done how have you seen technology change what it is that you do 
<laughs> well, in, in our field, it's changed dramatically. So if you would ask Tom Hirons that question, he would say that he once employed the best typesetter in the state and that he bought markers by the case, right? Yeah. And do we do not have a typesetter on staff, nor could you probably identify one if you had to. Right. Um, and, and we certainly don't buy markers in the same quantity. So um, just in the 20 years that I've been in the agency, we've seen so many things change. And as you look at public relations at, with the intersection of media and technology, um, it's changed really dramatically. I. Uh, like to tell our new employees that on my first day at Hirons, I was handed a, um, a media directory that was like a book that was this thick and um, was made to create a media list, which included like flipping through the pages and typing in to make my own database. Um, we did not have uh, smartphones. I had a Palm Pilot and thought I was pretty cool because like my calendar could oh, you're not so. dating yourself i remember <laughs> i still have mine i kept all That's my legacy things as well <laughs> Love that it's just, yeah it's funny to think about that and then like what has happened even in the past five months as we've all flipped to video conferencing and um this sort of virtual workspace things just happen so fast i mean social media and content sharing has has changed our world dramatically um, you know, 20 years ago, you had to have the wherewithal to kind of get in touch with a reporter, whether that was a print journalist or a TV broadcaster, and kind of hook them into your story and help them or and encourage them to help you amplify it. And now, you know, a single tweet or a blog post can um, really take the the media by storm. Um, you know, if you if you look at how we promote things now, if you look at how we um, respond to crises, uh, you know, it's just, it is so fast. And the um, the heavy lift that comes from tracking all the data is just, is just huge. Yeah, it, um, we see changes and it's, it seems to, to change at a more and more rapid pace all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, when we do media training now, we're training people how to do Zoom interviews as opposed to <laughs> kind right. of the on-camera, you know, person on the street. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And I think with um, with COVID, it really it changed the pace at which everything was changing. You know, it was all going that direction eventually. It was yeah. all moving in that that direction, but it just seemed to, to exponentially accelerate in the last, you know, three, four, five months. Well, let me ask you, with everything you've done and with some of your really cool key initiatives, um, what's the future look like for you or for the organization? Well, we really changed our model about 10 years ago in a couple of ways. One was um, to acknowledge the convergence of all of the communications and advertising and branding and digital and, and public relations space into, into sort of one amorphous um, body of work, right? So we're, we're no longer um, just looking at a project as a specialty. Um, we, we need to look the 360 degrees around that project. Um, and, and we really flipped to a consultancy model. Um, and that has paid off for us. Um, we 
really doubled down on this concept of being full service when many of our um, competitors and peers went much more niche. So they're looking at, um, you know, I'm a brand shop or I'm a PR firm or I'm a crisis firm or I'm a healthcare focused firm, right? We kind of stood our ground as a generalist full service firm and um, that decision paid off really well for us and continues to pay off for us in the future. Um, we also um, really diversified our um, client base. So 50% of our work is government work and 50% um, of our work is um, commercial. And that has given us some good standing to navigate things like, you know, an international pandemic. That's excellent. So at this point, um, can we just take a short break and do the uh, do the trivia segment? I guess so. Awesome. <laughs> so Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome everyone to Brand Culture Trivia, where the points don't matter, but the brand does. In this segment, we play a trivia game against our guest. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, along with my co-host, David Morrow. David, tell us about the rules and the awesome prizes. Absolutely, the rules are as follows. You get to guess as fast as you can. You get as many answers as you want, and the first one to give the right answer wins a point. The first contestant to three points wins the game. What do you get if you win? Glad you asked. You get 14,684 Brandology bucks. That's what is that worth? Those are absolutely worthless, but we might send you a sticker for playing. So let's get started with brand culture trivia. David, why don't you spin the wheel of trivia and see what our first question is? All right, here I go. It is a heavy, heavy wheel. Okay, so that's two guys that have too much fun. <laughs> so, um, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna give some questions, and you can guess as many as you want as fast as you want. Is that okay? You guys aren't able to see my screen, right? I can't see screen. Okay, good. So, this first question is: um, tell tell me the name of the company for this slogan. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's blank. Nike. <sighs> MasterCard. Ding, 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 ding. Great job, Dina. Uh, Dina has one point. Excellent. Okay, how about the next one? Tell me the name of the company that this slogan is attributed to. A diamond is forever. Ford. What? I don't know what you said be fast. <laughs> a diamond is forever. Sunny, do you know? Uh, it's definitely a jewelry company. Um, Shane Company? Don't. How about De Beers? Yes. Dina oh. with two. Yeah. Two to zero. Mark. I think she it, knew that answer. Mark, I, I'm a good I'm a good shopper. <laughs> <laughs> It's two to zero. Mark, if you had a thousand times as many points as you had now, she'd still be winning. Yeah, so, this is correct. Okay. Um, let me think of one more here. There's a whole bunch of them here. Um, okay. Bet you can't eat just one. 
Cheerios. Oh, it's a chip. Who? Um, what is it? It's definitely a chip. Um, like Lee's? Yes, Sunny has one. Sunny oh. has one. Dina has two. It's getting close. Okay. I have a lot of chips back in my day. <laughs> what is the logo for Levi's? Explain to me the logo for Levi's, the jean company. What is it? It's a pocket. A little swoop on the back pocket. Yeah. Anybody like, else? Isn't it like a? Isn't it like a square with like their brand in it? It's like a tan square. Sorry, I could be wrong. No, it was actually both. All three of you guys are close. It's actually two horses, and the reason behind the two horse logo was that not all consumers were able to speak English as their first language, and not everyone in like the remote West, when Levi's were pushed out as America moved west, was literate. So it was thought that the company had a memorable logo, so it would become easy for people to ask for Levi jeans by just pointing or mentioning two horses. Ah. Oh. We all learn things. This is not just a game. This is knowledge. This is good yes, this is knowledge. <laughs> what is the, well, you guys won't. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll see if you guys know this. Dina may know this, Sonny may know this. Mark, you're not gonna know this. Um, what is the, I have full confidence in my co-host. Um, what is the largest oil business in the world? The largest oil and gas business in the globe, the whole world. Which one is it? <laughs> I was going to say Exxon. It would be my guess, but... I was going to say BP. I thought BP at first, but I think Exxon's bigger. That's what I thought, and it's actually the China National Petroleum Corporation. It's the largest integrated energy group in the whole world. It has the biggest oil and gas corporation. Um, its headquarters is in Beijing, and it has proven, uh, it holds proven reserves of 3.7 billion barrels of oil. Hmm. See, not just, not just trivia. That was a stumper. Yeah, that was knowledge. Okay, what company is based on this slogan? The happiest place on earth. Disney. I was like Disney. Dina wins. Ah. Dina, you are the winner of what is it? Fourteen thousand six hundred and fifty-four Brandology box. Nice. I'll try not to spend it all in one place. We're wheeling it back. We're wheeling it out to you. That is nice. That. Hey, thank you so much for playing. That's great. So let's get back to the episode. And now we're going to trail back to the episode. Um, uh, wanted to uh, thank you for playing. Both Sonny, Dina, that, that was great. Mark, you were terrible. Yeah, awesome. I know. I'm going to have to practice. Great work. I even showed you the answers ahead of time. Um, <laughs> so what? So l let me ask you about this. What's your view of, especially as you're going to be teaching um, the, the 400 level of, of PR in, in, at the college level. What's your view of technology? Like, how do you view technology, the integration of technology right now? Well, I would say that part of my view of technology is inspired by the fact that I have a six-year-old son at home who is uh, amazing me every day with what he can do and what he can find and how he learns on his um, various devices. So, um, 
part of it is that we haven't seen anything yet. I think we'll we will continue to um, to morph and and learn things. Um, much to my 12 year old son's dismay, I made him take piano lessons for a number of years. And I will tell you, I had a real aha moment um, as it pertains to technology because he has a wonderful instructor who also teaches at Butler um, and, and is just a, a great teacher. And as he was um, completing his lesson one day, she said, John, I want you to listen to XYZ concerto um, and tell me about how you feel about it at our next lesson. And he, without even missing a beat, he says, Alexa, play XYZ Concerto. <laughs> and like in the moment, it was playing in our living room, right? And so um, the, this concept of, of like voice search, right? It just is, is so organic in his life that he didn't even think twice. And he couldn't have even fathomed like, sitting down on a laptop and Googling it, right? It, it was just immediate and uh, literally at his fingertips. And so I think we, um, we really need to learn from the young ones about what technology is gonna mean and, and how they um, wanna interact. I mean, you know, we had my son's sixth birthday via a Zoom call, right? And so he just, he knows video and um, this interaction with technology just in a in a very organic way in his life and, and we're gonna have to acknowledge that and understand what it means. That is a really great summary. You know what's we really have come that far from the uh, card catalog at the local library to the world encyclopedia to a six year old to be sunny a card catalog is a a funny a card catalog is a a shelf that that it's it's a set of series of drawers that have all these little cards that, 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 that used a system called the Dewey Decimal System that helped us find things to be able to uh, locate. Them. My uh, my my first real job was as a library page. Right. So you're uh, well, there we go. The language. Yes. You know, one thing we always like to. Uh, get some insight on and, and I always enjoy asking our guests and, and the leaders uh, from around the country, what are your thoughts on how can this, this culture shape a brand? Well, I think you could find many, many case studies that say culture is the brand at this point. Um, and um, we, we do a lot of work in um, employee communications, employee engagement, and the important role that your stakeholder um, engagement plays in how people feel about your brand and how they engage in it. Um, we have a system called Concentric Circles that we recommend in um, complex communications environments. And it's really based on this, this concept of exhaustive target audience identification. So understanding all of the people that your brand can touch and then announcement by announcement, um, news item by news item, kind of understanding what order um, your stakeholders and your constituents would like to hear information. There's a, a feeling of 
I already knew about that or they already told me before I read it on the internet or received a breaking news email about it. So we really think that um, communication and engagement can play a big role in um, developing the culture of an organization. That's, that's really good. That's very insightful. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, as we kind of wrap it up, I, I wanted to, to absolutely thank you for some of the um, the inspirational words you've given, some of the transparency, and some of the the insight into the things you've done. And, and the listeners, I know, appreciate that. One of the questions that we always like to ask, and I know the listeners always enjoy, is when you were a kid growing up, what did you want to be? Oh my gosh, my son just asked me this the other day, so I was I was laughing even thinking about it. So I wanted to be either Wonder Woman or a doctor. Great choice. Both so, strong choices. Yes. Yes. I you know, I maybe ended up somewhere in between, I guess. Yeah. Well it's no, that's I appreciate you sharing. We've we've gotten everything from, you know, astronauts to uh, president to um ruler of the free world uh, yeah not even sure what that is but uh well thank you for sharing that thank you for your time and thank you for playing uh, uh trivia with us it was very yeah. enjoyable and uh, we'll be sure and get that prize right out the door to you <laughs> absolutely they are they are shipping it out um sunny thank you as well we appreciate the help it was great uh thank you very much for for uh, joining us and uh, uh dina thank you so much we really appreciate it yeah, is there is there is there anything um, that you would like to ask us, or is there anything that you feel we should have asked or could have asked that we didn't already? Oh well, I have one very important question, which is, um, who is your dream podcast guest? Oh, that's an interesting question. Wow, that's an interesting question. And the tables have been turned. And the tables have turned. Interesting. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't really know right offhand. I mean, there's so many. Honestly, my dream personally would be like Steve Jobs. Ah. Like, I would want to interview him because I've read so much about him and I want to interview him to ask him about, you know, what he was like personally, right? Because people talk about, you know, we all know what he said in quotes that he's, that he's made and, you know, in his biography and, there's that, but I, I would want to ask him, you know, along the way, you know, how did he know to go back? Like he had left Apple at one time. I, I would, I would, I would want to know things, things about that. Like what drew him? What drew him? David's the uh, cerebral one in this relationship. See, I would go for sheer fun, just total shock value, just not knowing what's going to happen next, and have to go with like a Joe Rogan. Oh, oh yeah. well, sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because you have no idea where that where that train's going to come off the tracks at any given point. Yeah, that's exactly right. I thought we were talking about like people in history. I thought we were talking about like, historical figures. Whoever, it's your your guest of choice. <laughs> I think I, I I think you guys did great. So we're absolutely grateful. And uh, thank you. All right, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you both. Have a wonderful week. 
Hey everyone, Mark and I are really excited about an upcoming episode with author Dr. Rosie Ward. She's a nationally recognized author. She's an entrepreneur, founder of Salveo Partners, and she's going to discuss with us culture change and leading from any position, regardless of title. She has a new book out called Rehumanizing the Workplace. We're going to explore that. We're going to talk about things about being able to lead even in a remote workforce, um, dealing with micromanagers, well as uh, how introverts can lead. It's a remarkable episode, and we guarantee that you will absolutely find great value in it. So please don't miss it. Uh, And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, David, that was another great episode. We tend to post one or two a week. Uh, Unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, Thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe, turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening.